Welcome to Silmarillion Stories, where the Lorehounds, your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our podcast for Of Thingol and Melian, the sixth story of the Silmarillion. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the union of Maya and Elf and the abandonment of Thingol and the origins of the Sindar. Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to lotr at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those questions in the next episode. Episodes are released once per month towards the end of the month. If you're enjoying our coverage of uh, The Silmarillion or any of the other shows that we're covering and you'd like to support us directly, head over to patreon.com slash thelorehounds and subscribe today for early and ad-free access to all of our episodes. You can always find our ad-supported episodes on our public feed. Just search for Lorehounds in your podcast application of choice. One more quick ask. Please take a moment and rate the podcast or leave a review if you feel moved. Ratings and reviews really help other people find our podcast, which helps us make more podcasts. Now, before we get going, I just want to talk about our guest. We have a guest, Mary Clay, from That's What I'm Talking About. And she had us on a couple months ago to talk about the Lord of the Rings appendices. So you can check that out on her feed, which you can find in our show notes. She's really great. She did a whole podcast where she went through all the Tolkien stuff, uh, you know, piece by piece. She started with the Lord of the Rings, I think, and she went through the Silmarillion. She's done a ton of this stuff. She has she has a couple hundred episodes now. And so if you want more Tolkien, definitely check out her feed. I had a really great time talking with her. We've already recorded it. David, I'm sure you also had a good time talking to her. Yeah, uh, having a chat with uh, MC is always a good time. She is a fun person to podcast with and has a, has a good take on uh, all things Tolkien because, you know, she's coming to it fresh. This is her first read-throughs, and she recorded her whole journey, and I think that's a very cool project. It takes a lot uh, of effort not only to do, um, but also some bravery to get out there and, and put yourself in front of something that you haven't experienced before and, and share that with folks. So yeah, it's a good time. Absolutely. Well, here's our conversation with Mary Clay now. Welcome everyone to our main breakdown of the Thingol and Melian chapter. With us today is Mary Clay, host of That's What I'm Talking About. Mary Clay, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for inviting me in to talk about uh, I, I'm revisiting the Silmarillion after finally finishing it. So thanks for bringing it back into my life. <laughs> I can't tell if you are. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if this is a good or a bad thing. Um, I definitely had to when I was rereading this part. I had to remind myself, oh, yeah, this is what it's like reading the Silmarillion. You kind of you really have to fo focus in on it. I was like, oh, it's just a page. I can leave the TV on in the background. But nope, no, I had to. It, it took a while to get my brain back into this place. Right. So one way or another, I'm, ba I'm back in it now. <laughs> Well, we're glad you could make it over. We had such a fun time on uh, your podcast. Just a quick shout out to your own podcast, if you want to let people know, and then we can talk a little bit about more at the end of the episode, because you're going to yeah, stick around sure. through feedback with us, and then you can we can plug your episode again then, or your episode, I'm sorry, your podcast. But if you just want to give people uh, quick deets, that would be great. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about uh, is my podcast. I've been doing it for almost four years now, four wow. years, I think. And um, I think that's how time works these days. <laughs> um, and uh, it covers my 
experience of Lord of the Rings and Tolkien for the first time. I started by reading Lord of the Rings, having never seen the movies um, or remembering any of the plot lines or or anything like that. Um, And then kind of went from there and went into The Hobbit and The Hobbit movies, some other fun, obscure uh, Tolkien adaptations, and as well as The Silmarillion. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, uh, I started the podcast knowing absolutely nothing um, and felt really bad when I would have guests on and they would be like, well, we'd love to have you on our show, but we're going to spoil everything. So you can't come on. So it's fun to be at a point where I can <laughs> talk about this stuff with other people and know what I'm talking about. <laughs> awesome. Great. Right, right. Well, you picked a fun chapter to come in on. This is a pretty short one. It's only about, I think you said in our our upcoming, uh, in our intro banter, it's only about a page and a half. In my edition, it's the same. David, I don't know about you, but it is certainly not something that you need to spend a week reading, although you could, because it's J.R.R. Tolkien, and he's a beast. I actually was out for a walk, and I was like, okay, let me listen to my audible of the the chapter to like prime my brain. And then it was over, and I was like, wait, what, yeah, short walk. what is this? Yeah, exactly. And then when yeah. I looked in the book, yeah. I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why it went straight yep. to chapter five. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange one, because all of these chapters are super long-winded, and perhaps this is still long-winded, because he basically just takes a meat cute and turns it into mm-hmm. two pages instead of a line. Uh, but it, it covers so little compared to most of the other chapters of the Silmarillion. So before we give our general thoughts, why don't I read a quick chapter synopsis? Melian, one of the Maiar, heard of the coming of the elves and decided to spend some time in the forests of Beleriand. At the same time, Elway, king of the Teleri, was in Beleriand with his people when he took a walk in the woods. He heard nightingales and followed them to Melian, and the two immediately fell in love. They stare at each other, quote, while long years are measured. And the Teleri, unable to find their leader, appoint Elway, Elway's brother, as their new king. Elway takes the name Elu Thingol, or King Grangmantle, and establishes the kingdom of Doriath with his queen, Melian, in the caves of Menegroth. Because of their leaders, the Teleri who remain with them become the Sindar, or Grey Elves. It is from Thingol and Melian's line that the fairest of all the children of Iluvatar will come. Oof. So, I, you know, it's funny. When I went to go summarize this, I was like, wow, it's short. It's going to be two sentences. Turned out to be a full, long paragraph because there's just so many good details, uh, you know, chock, chock full of them in this chapter. Mary Clay, you're our guest here. Why don't you give us your impressions first? Um. Well, as a woman reading Tolkien, it's great to see a woman character. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that was uh, one of the things that I was kind of told going into the Silmarillion. Uh, I I made lots of fun uh, of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, um, which has no women at all, (laughs) Um, except for Lobelia Saxville Baggins, if you want to count her, Uh, her brief little like cameo. but yeah, I made lots of fun of the lack of women, and lots of people said, well, there's plenty of female characters in the Silmarillion, so it was great to to start learning about them. Um, so hearing about Melian for, for the first time is really cool. She's so ethereal. She's being compared to Yavanna herself, um, and I was like, she's going to be a really cool woman, and 
later on in the Silmarillion. I won't say what else, but spo- spoiler alert: she does she does uh, have some some pretty great moments coming up. Yep, yep. She certainly does a lot for the elves. I'll say it that way. <laughs> She does quite a lot. Uh, David, what was your impression of this chapter? Well, like I mentioned earlier, it was so short that I was caught surprised. I uh, then, you know, l- listened to it a couple of times more, read it a couple of times more. And since this is my first time reading through the Silmarillion, I was a little confused. It was a bit of a head scratcher to me. And as I was looking at some of the details, I was just wondering is this a whole bunch of seeding? and table setting and you know putting certain people in certain places and referencing certain you know map locations and things like that so i i really beyond that i i had a very i did not have a lot to react to i guess i could say sure yeah not a lot of big events in this chapter zero yeah i think this is more of a tolkien wants them to stare at each other for many long years Mm-hmm. And uh, he just wants us to appreciate that they're super duper in love. Tolkien, as much as he shows rather than tells, does like to tell us how much people are in love. I mean, nothing says love like stumbling through the woods and hearing a voice in the distance and then being frozen in time for, for, <laughs> for years an, to come. Millennia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And then just abandoning your people for, for yes. no reason. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, this guy, what's his name? Elway has never heard of the phrase bros before hoes. <laughs> no, uh, he not. abandons his brother and all of his people for this woman. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So now that we've done our general thoughts and our synopsis, I think let's take a few points that are part of this chapter and let's discuss them. So, First of all, let's just talk about who people are. Again, this is a podcast that is geared towards walking you through your first time in the Silmarillion or reminding you of what was there when you read it the first time. So Melian, who we've discussed, is a Maya. She's one of the lesser Ainur or lesser holy beings. And then her new husband or partner, uh, Elway slash Thingol, is one of the kings of the elves who originally traveled to Valinor to see the trees. So remember, we discussed the elves going all the way to Valinor with ambassadors so that they could tell whether this was going to be a good idea to bring the whole group of elves all the way to Valinor to live with the Valar rather than living in Middle-earth. So I, my big question is, is this the, the first and or only Maya pairing that we have, period? Like, do the Maya get down with anybody else, or is this, this is the one? I believe this is the one. Okay. I guess, yeah, this would be the first, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't... I think, I think it's the first and only. Okay. Right. Am I wrong, Mary Clay? Um, you know, I, I can't. I can't claim to know all about the <laughs> relationships of the Maya and other other species of, of people. But um, I don't recall any other major relationships that are pointed out. The the more the the ones that are really focused on later on are between you know elf and man yeah um, but right. yeah I think they're the only one of Maya and elf so that's right. I think you're right yeah that's pretty unique that a Maya is gonna go you know go that way I mean what and the Maya that we have it's like Gandalf Sauron the Blue Wizards it's those folks 
Um, and, right. and this is the only, is this the only female or, or, you know, woman representation of a Maya, a feminine Maya? No, I, I don't think so. I believe okay. there are others, uh, but I, I would have to go back and get you a list. Okay. I could not name yeah, them it's off the top my, of my head. It's my understanding that there are a lot of Maya. Right. And right. sometimes right. they're just called out and named. Um, and that I, I interpreted them as being kind of like, certain servants or like a a sidekick to the the valar right um right you know they're not they're not fully valar but they're you know a step above the elves as well so i'm pretty sure there are a lot more of the maya because doesn't i think sauron is also a maya who who gets corrupted so there's definitely more, more of these guys to come and I think Ungoliant is probably one of the Maiar, although she is not definitively named one of the Maiar. Okay. Ungoliant, the giant spider. Yeah, she's just kind oh, of like right. this uh, void of mystery being like, you decide. Right. <laughs> Where did she come from? Yeah. Who is she? Yeah. <laughs> Best guess, I think, is one of the Maiar, but mm-hmm. we, we don't have definitive. I think she's supposed to be mysterious for effect's sake. Yeah. Though, what I think is interesting is by the end, you find out that this is where the fairest of all the children of Lubitar come. And I think that that emphasizes that this is the only union of Maiar and Elf because, you know, that that strain of holiness, that strain of holy being blood or heritage is what makes Luthien so beautiful, is what makes Arwen so beautiful is what makes these fair elves that are so unique within Middle Earth. Right. That would make sense. And I can't help every time, any time that Tolkien goes into these um, uh, deeper descriptions or setups where there is this powerful love interest between two beings and not think about him and his spouse and the relationship that they had. And I don't wonder, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Barry and Luthien is the model that we we all know, and it's on their gravestone and all that good stuff. But that um, if Tolkien didn't experience something like uh, Elway did when, you know, when he first lays eyes on her and, you know, hears her singing, if that's not some kind of enchantment that he also experienced in his real life. Well, every single you know, major love story that we, you know, that we cherish in Middle Earth. Yeah. I guess, I guess the three big ones, which are, you know, Melian and Thingol, Baron and Luthien, and Aragorn and Arwen, they all involve a forbidden love <laughs> yes. in which the woman is older than the man. <laughs> Who does that sound there like? There you go. Right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, yep. It's J.R.R. and Edith. Yep. Yeah, definitely putting touches of, uh, I mean, like he did in so many other aspects of of his works, putting those personal touches of his life into it. Um, and I think it kind of, um, on one hand, the way that this, this story unfolds, it can be described, if you take it in a certain context, it can be very creepy of like, <laughs> I like all of a sudden I had no 
uh, I had no um, control over my own thoughts and body and I was frozen there as this spell came upon (laughs) me and like you could very easily you know reframe this as like a witch kidnapping a man and and putting a love spell on him you know right so um, the yeah the the fact that it's he's taking this like real life thing is and is making it a little bit more uh wholesome and being like this is what i feel like actually happened to me when i met my wife i felt like i was overcome by a spell or a trance or something and i found it to be really beautiful and and writing from the heart We don't. Yeah, well, you brought in exactly what I was going to talk about, which is the word enchanted. Uh-huh. That's such a strange choice to our modern ears. And I wonder what Tolkien would have told us that it actually means in, in like pure Middle English. He's like, oh, chant. It, it's about the chant of the soul that really, uh, you know, he, he would have some kind of explanation where it has nothing to do with magic at all. That it would be, mm, yeah, that I it would be something that, yeah. that's just, you know, no, they just were enamored with each other. It's the same word. And, you know, uh, MC, you were the word you just used, wholesome. I can't think of any of the love relationships in Tolkien that aren't wholesome. They're not dirty, you know, they're not, they're not lustful, they're uh, not, um, uh, call, uh, call me when you get to, uh, Arathel and Ale. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Now you're talking. But, but um, by, and large, that, by and large, I, there's a lot yeah, of wholesome love going down. I will say that doesn't seem to be, uh, yeah, that's definitely, it's not a focus of his where, uh, I, I think there are some uh, aspects where like that, you know, dar- darkness comes into play in so many parts of what he writes about. Right. Um, and I think you can uh, make a case for instances where darkness comes into the love stories but i do yeah by and large it doesn't that's not what he is going for he's going for all these stories of people who um really deserve each other and falling and you know finding their soulmate or their other half um uh yeah question for for y'all maybe it's a loaded question but um do y'all believe in this concept of soulmates because i think a lot of what tolkien writes it feels like he's, you know, it feels like Arwen and Aragorn and Baron and Luthien and uh, Thangol and Melian are written to be, you know, soulmates. And mm-hmm. a lot of people would say soulmates don't exist, you know. I guess that would presuppose your sort of spiritual beliefs and values. And if there is something beyond just simple biology, uh, soulmates would require I think by necessity, that concept means that you've got to have some belief in a spiritual realm beyond mm. atoms and molecules and, you know, uh, uh, physiobiology and chemical and chemical cascades in our brains. So um, it goes to that kind of question. I personally, you know, still, you know, having ideas of romance and having, you know, uh, um, fulfilling relationships, I, I don't really go in for the soulmate thing. Like there's a yeah. <laughs> one person that I'm destined for and that they're destined for me. I probably have thought that at, at times in my life, and I don't ever know that it ever really worked out. And I think the relationship that I have now with my spouse, the reason, one of the reasons why it works 
well for both of us is that we're both practical people and ha kind of have our feet on the ground. And, um, and rather than being, oh, enraptured by our, enchanted by our, uh, our relationship to each other. So that's, that's my take, but that's as a plus 50 year old man. So, uh, you know, that, <laughs> take that for what it's worth. John, I don't know. Are you a, are you a soulful person when it comes to love and romance? Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have complicated thoughts on, on the non-physical personhood. I, I shift with the wind, but my wife will not get me in trouble with this because she actually explicitly rejects the idea of soulmates. And I, I think I've come around to her way of thinking on it in, in the sense that we can love each other and we don't have to be forced to be with each other, right? We've chosen... Yeah. to work to make our relationship choice. work to active choice right and 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 it's i almost feel like calling yourselves soulmates takes away from the obligation that you have as a couple to work to make sure that my continuously changing self works with your continuously changing mm. self yep Yep, and I like all that because I, we're we're just always changing. We're you know we're doing a Wizard of Earth see where we're where we're doing your true name is 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 how somebody controls you. That's like the the big thing in a Wizard of Earth see, and I don't know. I, I I actually took issue with the idea of a true name because I just feel like you ten years from now is not going to be you now. And so my point is, and I'm now going too long-winded on this, <laughs> is that I'm the one that that brought it, this up. So <laughs> I think it's Open a good. I think it's a good concept. Uh, is that I, I do not think that I probably align with uh, the professor on his idea of yeah. soulmates. Right. I think it's How about a very, you, Mary Clay? yeah. I think it's a very romantic view of life, and Tolkien himself seemed to be quite the romantic person. So. Yes. Um, and yeah. I and I, I guess it's also it seems very fitting for a fantasy world that you can just be walking in a forest and hear a voice and and decide and, and go, oh, that that's the woman I'm meant to be with. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and don't we go to our fantasy for that? Right. To escape reality in some way. Yeah. I don't remember the exact story of how he met Edith, but I know it was at this house that they were both staying at because, you know, she, he was orphaned and, and she was staying in this house as well. And she was a musician, right? Like she was a pianist and she, he probably met her while she was at least trying to play the piano. I know she had some issues of getting access to the piano in that house, but music is, I think the original thing that lured him to her of course, he's going to write that with the mm -hmm. Nightingales yeah. with, with this story, right? I, I think that Perfect. there's traces of Tolkien's life just plastered all over this story. Yeah, 100%. So the next concept I wanted to talk about is the trammels and chain of the flesh of Arda. I think I reversed that. The chain and trammels yes. of the flesh of Arda, which is this concept that's brought into play later in the Silmarillion. But I'm going to cheat and I'm going to take it in here because I think it's a cool way to frame this. And we talked about this, if you'll recall, if you've been with us a long time and you stayed with us for Rings of Power, when Sauron is, you know, trying to get Galadriel to, to be with him, that we said was a big deal because there's this concept of the things that happen to a holy being, the things that happen to one of the Maiar when they decide to settle down with an elf, when they decide to partake in sort of the day-to-day the -day life 
of an elf and one of the children of a Luvatar. So here's a quote from later in the Silmarillion. Vermilion was of the divine race of the Valar, and she was a Maya of great power and wisdom. But for love of Elwe Singolo, she took upon herself the form of the elder children of Iluvatar. And in that union, she became bound by the chain and trammels of the flesh of Arda. So the idea is that the more she's married to, you know, the more she's bound to Thingol, the more she helps him, the more she, you know, makes children with him the more she becomes tied to the form of an elf. She's still one of the Maiar, but she's giving up a part of herself. She's giving up the sort of ethereal part of herself to be part of this union. And I think that that's both beautiful and horrifying, right? Like she, she's giving up a huge part of herself to be part of this union, but she's doing it because she just loves him so much. And not even just him, but I think that over time, she starts to love the elves so much. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to remember that she came to Beleriand because she heard the elves were here. It wasn't on a whim. She really wanted to be with these children. Yeah, and I think... Um uh, as well as grow, you know, growing to really connect with and love the elves that she is, you know, amongst now. I think she's also growing to love because they they established the kingdom of Doriath together. So she's also right. learning to love the, you know, even just like the physical earth and the um, right. like home that they have built, the physical home that they have built together, um, and the, you know, uh, the the things that they have done together and accomplishments and achievements and setbacks that they have done as you know the king and queen um and all of that becomes intertwined and you know it kind it can kind of turn into like a um uh you know like a it's a wonderful life situation where you look back and it's like you know if i never became if i never came down to if i never went to middle earth became a, a maya i mean a reverse of that if i never came to middle earth and became an elf and joined this look at all of the um all of the joys and heartbreaks of life that i would have missed out on and the things that would have you know changed in domino effect because of because of all of that um and yeah it's it's also you know hard to think about what she would have given up but I think also it's worth noting that they she would have had a a long time to live, you know, in Valinor amongst the Valar, enjoy that and then decide, you know what, maybe I'll go to Middle-earth for a change of pace. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. And even after things go down, let's say everything goes bad. We won't spoil if it does or not. But let's say everything goes bad they're still both going to Valinor, right? Like they're, they're both part of the Mm -hmm. eternal Arda. Yeah. Worth, uh, saying it says in this, and I remember being really hung up on this line the first time I was reading it through, um, where it says, Oh, I never, never again came never again across the sea to Valinor so long as he lived, and Melian returned not thither while their realm together lasted. And I was like, what does that mean? Their realm together <laughs> last while yeah. their realm lasted. Hmm, interesting. They're not hiding the ball. They're <laughs> yeah. not hiding the ball too much. <laughs> Do, uh, Tol- Tolga does that. He loves doing that. Those like bits of foreshadowing that as you're reading it, you're like, that means nothing to me. <laughs> Why would you write right. that? That, right. that that means nothing to me and all you've done is perked up my suspicions to be like what happens to them (laughs) 
but I mean, super rewarding on the second and third read, right? It's it's uh, it's the book that keeps on giving. I think. Yes. I think the every time I read it, I like it more because the first time it's sort of like, oh my god, what's happening? You know, you're just trying to get your bearings. You're trying to not drown in this material, and then you you sort of the second time, I think you get the plot right, and you can you can get a few more details. I would say the third time is where I started to become emotional with mm. these characters, right? Where I could sort of start bonding with them. And it's it's tough to read a book like that because that's not what we're trained to do with books. We're trained to have these, you know, grand adventures, you know, in modern fantasy where you just open up the book, you're right in, you got the characters laid out for you. If you don't have the characters laid out for you, it's not selling. And uh, it's it's super interesting to go back to this work that is really challenging it is it is challenging you as a reader i think and you know i i know a lot of people are going to be turned off by that but i think that when they persevere it's not for everyone but if you persevere it's really something that really keeps on giving agreed D- ditto <laughs> <laughs> question about the um uh, chains and trammels didn't we see and i think we talked about this before uh, especially with uh Saruman, right he as right. he started tasting power and having control and dominion, that corruption, um, even though he was a holy being, he was still ensconced in a flesh of a, sure. of a you know yep. of, of a, a man uh, of the race of men. And so he fell victim to those inbuilt, um, weaknesses, I guess you could say, or I don't want to call it a weakness necessarily if it's a feature, not a bug, but he he fell um, into something where he did not have, he was no longer holy and above the daily circumstances of life and the, the feelings of hunger and pain and of drowsiness and, you know, uh, excitement and all the different I- experiences mm-hmm. that we go through as mortal beings. And so, well, yeah, go. Saruman is a little bit of a different case because the Istari, which is, you know, the race of wizards that, uh, you know, that, that Saruman was part of, they right. are Maiar. Right. But they were given from the start of their time in Middle Earth, they were given from the start physical bodies right. that had the weaknesses of men immediately right they could be killed they could be turned to evil they they could be hungry they could be tired it's not like he was at melian state whereas melian was at her full you know full My power mm-hmm. yeah yeah Got My it, okay. <laughs> yeah i like it but but yeah so it's a little bit different okay. but yes i think that he did succumb to those weaknesses mm-hmm. which is why he was forsaken the 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 sort of blessing of the valar eventually and and cast from his position right whereas melian is as you say she's at the height of her uh melianness and uh she's with (laughs) paired with and she's paired up with an elf in the early days in a sort of eden like state you know maybe uh uh melkor hasn't you know ruptured the land down in this area He's he's gone everywhere pretty much from now, but okay. but there are but they will establish. I think you know I'll say I'll say this point now is you know the caves of Menegroth is where we're going, right? And these are these hidden elvish kingdoms that are going to start popping up throughout the next few stories that I think you got to keep an eye on because those are going to be these big hubs of elves during the first age, okay? And the the rise of them, who knows if they'll fall. Although we do know that Balerion doesn't exist in the Third Age or the Second Age, uh, 
the rise of them and perhaps fall of them are ba- are a huge part of the, the major arc of the Silmarillion. So we did touch on this before, but Thingol doesn't even leave a note, right? What did we learn from Arrested Development? You always leave a note. Yes. Uh, and he doesn't even leave a note for his people. He has to, They have to figure out that he's gone. How long do you think they searched? I mean, it says that they were, fr- you know, just b- before it even mentions, it, it brings the Teleri back into the story. It says that he and uh, Melian were frozen there for years so years definitely have passed so (laughs) the teleri were certainly not in a rush to get to valinor um it and and i guess uh the question of like do people go missing no that's a no i take that back because these elves have experienced some of their own kind just disappearing and going missing so maybe that's what they thought happened you know maybe they Although, were like oh someone got if him. i yeah the only thing i'll say about that is i i don't know if you if you're fully fully into the context of where we are in the silmarillion right now but this is well melkor is in valinor captured and in chains okay so but you know what actually i'm gonna give you points back because uh sauron's still around orcs are still around could still happen let's Let's just say it's possible. Um, but yeah, it, they they really do not seem nervous for quite some time, no. um, which just puts into scale the the lives of the elves. Um, so, something that I just keep going back to, uh, you know, s- say what you will, whatever people's opinions are about the Rings of Power show. Um, I think they did a really fantastic job with prince durin the dwarf his mm-hmm. character is yep. fantastic and he has this scene with elrond where elrond seems to not care that he hasn't shown up uh to hang out with durin in a while and durin's like i've gotten married i've had children mm-hmm. and you haven't bothered to come in and say hello and that really puts it into reference for how the elves view you know their lives compared to other lives and so a year several years is nothing so they're perfectly fine to just hang out relax you know sing some campfire songs before finally always like maybe i should go look for my brother (laughs) yeah yeah um and i think it's it also says that a darkness comes around melian and Elway as they are standing there staring at each other so they even when they go out looking for them they can't even see them or find them yeah uh they are certainly hidden away Uh, also i I don't know i guess just one more thing to add that i that i just thought of this image that it creates of them kind of being there frozen in time together and they're surrounded by darkness It, it could also be said that when you first fall in love, sometimes it can feel like you are in your own world with just this other person yeah, and no yeah, other person sure. exists except for them. Right. And this seems to be a very, you know, literal instance of that. And he, he forgets about his own people that he was leading and, and what a testament to who Melian is that he saw the, the trees of Valinor and decided this is better. Right. Well, and he, I think it's noted he sees the light of Ammon in her eyes, right? He sees 
that light from Valinor in her. And he's like, this is good for me. I don't need to go back. This this mm-hmm. is what I wanted. Well, I mean, yeah, she's, you know, she's of, uh, she is a holy being. And so this light in her eyes that's I don't know. That's kind of cool. I think it's it's enchanting. Uh, it's it's rather <laughs> romantic, uh, and I can get it because I certainly have been there in the past, where that level of infatuation just causes everything else to drop away, um, and your just your whole being is focused on this one person. Um, I, I don't know that you know. Yeah, certainly in in younger days, I've I've experienced that, and so I can get that. I can get there. You probably would call into work, though, right? I mean, it's uh... yeah, yeah, but it'd be a very short call, and I don't know that I would necessarily remember what I said to my boss or not. <laughs> Fair enough. So, speaking of light in the eyes, this is the way we get the Sindar elves, and I think that's a super cool way to bring them into this is that Thingol and Melian come out eventually. You know, they're like, hey, guys, sorry about that. We're back. And, you know, the Teleri have largely moved on to Valinor under Olway. But so now we have this new thing where it is a Maya, who's, you know, obviously holy. And then you have an elf who is part of the Caliquendi, which just means elf who saw the light of the trees. And they are living amongst and leading this group of elves, this group of Teleri who never saw the trees. So they would be part of the Moraquendi, and I guess they still are technically. The Moraquendi are the elves who didn't see the light. But they get sort of secondhand smoke from the light of the trees. You know, they get secondhand benefits here where they get a little light in their eyes, kind of, and they are the gray elves because they live amongst these holier beings. This is a really interesting concept that I, I don't think we see anywhere else in the Silmarillion or in any of Tolkien's Legendarium of this sort of secondhand benefits of holiness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just have to, you know, stop and think about it. Um, yeah, it was something that I wasn't immediately, you know, didn't immediately hit me or wasn't clear to me um, for a while that there are the dark elves who never see the light of Valinor. Um, mm-hmm. There are the, um, I forget whatever they're called, the elves that do <laughs> go over to Valinor. And then there are the gray elves that are just kind of in between. It just never occurred to me that the gray, gray is literally in between white and black, you know, right, dark and light. Right. And and they're, they're in that in-between world where they're led by people who have seen the light of Valinor. Um, And for them, that's good. You know, that's good enough. They're trusting in that and they believe that whatever they're going to create is going to be just as a wonderful place to live as it would be to travel another thousand leagues and then go across the sea, you know? (laughs) Right. And many of them end up sheltered in Doriath. They end up in a very protected environment. Uh, We'll get more into sort of the landscape of Doriath in a future chapter, but I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, Melian really, you know, blessed these people. She really, you know, gave them her all, gave them a huge gift of, of protection, of light and of guidance. And that is why they are the Sindar. It's not just, you know, looking in somebody's eyes. It's really this sort of kindness that she gives them, this gift from herself, from her being, giving up a part of herself to help these people that she fell in love with. The last point I wanted to make here is that, you know, we've talked about this a couple times, but the fairest of all the children, 
come from this line. So we know Luthien comes from this line. And I, I just want to say there are a lot of comparisons we can make when we get to Baron and Luthien to this meeting of Thingol and Melian. And I think that Thingol is the biggest hypocrite in all of Ooh. Valerian. That's all I'm saying. Shots fired. What's the biggest hypocrite? <laughs> okay, so bring it. What's the what's your argument? It's here? the same thing. Uh-huh. It's the same exact thing. And he's just he's just obtuse. Anyway, that's my complaint about Thingol. <laughs> we'll have to wait till we get to Baron and Luthien. Yeah, there's not there, there's not much to say right now that won't yeah go into future oh, territory. Okay. But all right. Thingol does not be. I'll say this: Melian becomes uh, one of my more respected characters. Thingol kind of has a fall from grace Got for it. me. <laughs> what, just, just one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's more like a continuous fall. Each each time he pops up, he goes a little further down. Something I've learned about John while podcasting with him is that he suffers no fools. So if if he's got a set against uh, somebody, uh, there is reason. There is a strong reason there. Maybe, or maybe I just didn't like Wanda Sykes in one role she had. Well, I mean, you're bringing it. Podcast. You're bringing it to Bo-Katan. You're not giving Bo-Katan much room to Bo-Katan. Yeah, <laughs> I had a song about Bo-Katan, Mary Clay. If you haven't heard our our Mandalorian coverage. And uh, it was not nice to her. <laughs> but no. then I wrote another song that was nice to her because okay. she got better throughout the season. So we, we, uh, we're we keeping it musical here on here on the Lorehounds podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's on brand for, for Melian. So there you it go. It is. There you go. It's true. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, we'll head into listener feedback. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And we're back. Well, I think it's time for listener feedback. Mary Clay has graciously agreed to stick with us while we go through these comments. The first one is a weird one because it's from David. It's from me. right here. That's right. So (laughs) I was talking with a professional colleague of mine, and we were talking about the Rivendell Lego set. And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, my, you know, my fiance and I, you know, we have this whole thing. And she started to explain to me this whole thing where they buy these big sets, and then that gets them some kind of Lego box points, kind of like airline miles. And then they use those uh, you know, points to buy smaller sets. But yeah, I actually mm. know somebody who's going to be buying the Rivendell set, uh, wow. which just can, just blows me away. And of course- Did they win the lottery? No. That, that's, I know, right? That's <laughs> what they do is they, well, they, they are um, uh, together with no children. I forget. I know there's some acronym for that, but they are uh, single right, or, you know, right. they're- Soon to be engaged. Dink, right? Double income, no children. Exactly. That's, that's it, the, yeah. That's the one. So, um, and so, yeah, they can, they do that and uh, they buy these big sets. And then 
to tide them over between the big sets, they use their Lego bucks to buy these smaller or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called, Lego bucks or what it, the points. Um, and then they buy smaller sets in between the big sets. So they they space out their big set buying. So it's a big drop. It's a you know big vacation money kind of thing. And then they have plenty of um, uh, Lego money to keep them busy until their next big purchase. So. Nice. I, I was I was kind of flabbergasted because I didn't realize that there's this whole culture of Lego oh, yeah. economy. I mean, I grew up with Legos, obviously. I tortured my parents. You know, we were the first generation to make our parents walk barefoot across our Legos that we left right? in the living room. Yes, and we just had toy chests of them, of blocks, of shapes, of of strips, of all kinds of things, and the formed sets were fewer and far or in between. And so we would just have to make up our own stuff or we get very crude sets and then build up off of them. And that there is this whole culture now where people orient their lives to this really kind of, it didn't shake me, but I was just like, I never realized that that existed. It's not a world I, I work in. So <laughs> I, I, you know, more power to you, but like that somebody is actually buying a Rivendell set, I uh, it, it blows me mm -hmm. away. It blows me away. You know, I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about the Lego Lord of the Rings video game. Mm -hmm. are, is that a is that a hint at me? Because, it is. Okay. <laughs> Didn't you just drop an I was, episode? I was on that? like, did you guys just? I was like, surely you put that point in, be, knowing that I have been playing the Lego Lord of the Rings game. Um, uh, yeah, I'm playing the Lego video game that came out. 12 years ago um about about now um it's very enjoyable but exactly like you said there's this whole culture around lego that i i, I mean i i kind of am at a point now on the in, in my as a creator where i assume there is a community for everything Agreed. yeah but you you mm -hmm. don't necessarily realize how in depth it is until you start dipping your toes and yep. that's exactly what i started doing just trying to reach out to lego creators i was like are there lego creators for me to reach out to and oh, sure enough of course there are <laughs> oh my gosh millions of subscribers on youtube i i've messaged so many and none of them have messaged me back <laughs> um and i'm like can you just come on and talk about this lego lord of the rings well if there's game? any lorehounds listeners out um, there who are, are lego stands you know jump over and uh Give MC uh, yeah. a conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a fun time because the video game uh, has very funny, silly adapt uh, adaptations of the movie scenes. Boromir gets impaled with a banana uh, <laughs> and, and dies that way instead of with an arrow because you have to banana. make it you know more peachy, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, but yeah, it's fun. I, I've seen, I've had some listeners show me their pictures and send me messages that they've got the Rivendell set and wow. they're in the process of building it or posting a completed picture. Apparently when you open the box, there's 50 individual bags of the bricks. Wow. Um, wow. To, to wow. sort through. So my, I, I tip my hat to anyone who that is your thing yeah because you have more patience than i do john you just did uh you just did a star wars uh, lego build so i just did the commander Re sorry captain rex he becomes a commander at the end Later, of the clone yeah. war series Spoilers. We, don't, we don't need to talk about that but i'm no i'm joking i'm joking deal with it yeah exactly <laughs> deal with it uh captain rex they have a, a new line of 18 plus 
um, Lego sets that are like the the helmets of different figures. So they have one for Mando, you know, Din's Din's helmet. They have uh, Com- Captain Rex. They have Commander Cody. They have, uh, I think, a Leia helmet. I think I think it's a Legends helmet actually. I think they're going for even like Legends type. Uh, uh, designs and it's a lot of fun i had a lot of fun making it it was they have a lot of like hinges so that you can really get like the curves of the helmet right it's it's a good time i'm having fun with legos i haven't built a lego set since i was a kid until i got this one there you go so the next one is from our favorite tolkien scholar marilyn arpaquila on the topic of armies of balrogs the number of balrogs existing changed over time in tolkien's conception early on In the books of Lost Tales and in The Lost Road, Balrogs were less terrible and far more numerous. One reads about 1,000 of them uh, attending a battle. As the Legendarium developed, Balrogs became far more formidable and fewer in number. By the time he was writing the material that Christopher put into Morgoth's ring, Tolkien had made a little note to himself concerning Balrogs, saying, There should not be supposed... uh, this is weirdly written. There should not be supposed more than, say, three or at most seven Balrogs ever existed. Hardly the stuff of armies, but consider the concept of a thousand PowerPoints worth of Balrogs being condensed and contained in three to seven of the creatures, and then you get a much better grasp on just how powerful they were. I think that Tolkien's answer to why God allows evil choices is free will. This goes back to good old Boethius, I don't know if I pronounced that right, Uh, and his notion that evil is an absence of good rather than a thing in and of itself. Evil is the result, in effect, of poor choices, which God chooses not to intervene in. Who's got thoughts on free will? <laughs> so he, <laughs> these these two topics came from our last Silmarillion stories, and Marilyn wrote in because I think we got into the thing about Balrogs and uh, the yes, chaining of Melkor. Yes. So um, I thought that that was interesting. It, it like a lot of things with Tolkien, he was seems like he was forever fiddling and tweaking and and playing with it. Um, so uh, you know, thousands of of Balrogs would be pretty horrific, but. Um, bringing him down to a handful, I think, makes them more dangerous and more relatable. Uh, it's just like we were watching, we just uh, finished um, The Last of Us on HBO, and in this season, there wasn't an abundance of infected. And so whenever an infected was encountered, it was much more deadly and much more heart-pounding, whereas, I say, a show like The Walking Dead, where every episode has a you know big chunk of them, they mm. sort of lose their, their edge and their... Uh, the terror that they inflict. And so, you know, obviously I don't know what Tolkien was working on and how he was processing his thoughts about how to manage his Balrogs. But um, I like this idea of keeping the numbers down a little bit so that that when you do encounter them. So when we do encounter that one in the Mines of Moria, it's terrifying and it is potent and powerful and all that kinetic energy just comes off the screen or comes off the pages and really, really grabs us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, less is more with that. Yeah. Right. I mean, imagine a thousand Balrogs just running around Middle Earth. Nobody could have survived. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> On the free will topic, Marilyn is always one to make us think about things. 
And sometimes <laughs> it is too late at night for me to do that. So I'm going to toss it to Mary Clay. Do you think that free will... <laughs> I wish we could get your expression right then. <laughs> that was great. Do, do you think that evil is a result of free will? Um, whew. I mean, that, that is quite a question, especially given uh, a, a Catholic upbringing <laughs> and going back to, you know, Bible, Bible school lessons of, uh, you know, man's original sin beginning with the, the free will decision to, to eat an apple. <laughs> um, I guess, you know what? Yeah, I'll say, yeah. Because I think you have to have, you know, you have to have balance in the universe, I guess. And so if you're going to have this idea of free will is very, um, a, a world without free will, I, th I think to us maybe sounds insane. If you never lived in a world with free will, of course, you wouldn't know what you're losing or what you don't have. But I think free will is a very beautiful thing about life but the converse of that you know the the flip side of the coin is that you you can have the free will to do beautiful things and also terrible things and so I guess yes free will is a consequence I mean evil is a consequence of free will right all right I'm in. <laughs> can I add like a giant question mark on on right. the end of that and just you leave it open ended? You know, yeah. ellipses. Put in ellipses there. That's yes, what we dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yes, That's what exactly. Gen X like to do. We had a full discourse on our Patreon exclusive second breakfast episode this month about how Gen Xers and Boomers use ellipses at the end of their sentences. Oh my god! And it makes millennials and Gen Zers think that they hate us. And. Uh, <laughs> It was a riveting conversation. I would recommend anyone check that out because uh, I have been traumatized by ellipses mm. and now you will too. <laughs> yeah, yes, and all this time... I'm a, I'm a copywriter and improper use of punctuation. Sometimes I'm like, you don't need to end an email with thank you, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it sounds aggressive, I think. <laughs> I'm a I'm a notorious you know in casual writing I'm a notorious user of ellipses and so all and then John never said anything so we're chatting on Discord all the time about business podcasting stuff blah 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 and for me an ellipses is open thought it can it you know it joins uh, two you know thoughts that aren't fully formed or or connected necessarily and again in casual writing and so all this time he was uh, having to gird himself and talk himself through the fact that no David doesn't hate me he's still talking to me he's like <laughs> he had to process his emotions and he didn't tell me for months on end so it was pretty hilarious uh, uh, telling of the tale when when we finally did get around to it well, you'll have to tune into Second Breakfast if you want more of that story. Yeah. <laughs> For now, Loremaster Bettina W. on the Patreon app says, Hey, John. Hey, David. I've just decided it's time for a rewatch of The Rings of Power. 
And wow. to get into the right mood, I went back to your Second Age lore episodes. I am very deeply steeped in the lore of Tolkien's work, but I still enjoy listening to somebody breaking it down for casual fans. And boy, John, you did an awesome job there. I still can't get over the fact that your first Silmarillion read was only a few years ago. And David, from what I got, you're the casual reader and hearing most of the deeper lore for the first time. But you seem to have a really good grasp on Tolkien. Can't wait to hear you getting deeper into first age stuff and talking about it really enjoyed your second age coverage and enjoying your current Silmarillion stories. I do hope though, that you'll be breaking up some of the upcoming chapters into more episodes, especially the three core stories. Finally, David, in one of the more recent episodes, I heard you dreading to go back and listen to your earlier episodes again. Don't worry. They are very good. Keep up the good work. And I'm loving March for the amount of content we're getting from you. Well, what a lovely email. So thank you so much, Bettina W. And thank you for being a lore master, because these guys keep us going. It's nice to know that uh, we didn't whiff it too badly on our first podcast (laughs) uh, back then. And on such an important, you know, such a a set of topics that for a lot of people hold a lot of meaning and a lot of... um, Right. uh, There's a lot of intensity, uh, emotional and intellectual intensity around um, that stuff. And I'm glad that we did a good job. So it makes me feel better. Right. (laughs) But comparatively, the Tolkien fandom is a lovely, lovely fandom that I am grateful for all the time when we talk about Tolkien because even when we get something wrong, the corrections are very like Gentle. light touch and, mm-hmm. yeah, and very true. you know you know they're true. they're very helpful rather than hurtful yeah. and and I've always appreciated people that. aren't too shouty uh, sure sure yeah uh, breaking down the chapters into other episodes there's something uh, I think we are definitely going to break down Baron and Luthien into two chapters into two episodes. I'm not sure. The big three are, by the way, David. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was wondering. I was like, yeah, the okay. Three. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm thinking. This is what I think that Bettina means is the three great tales that were published separately. So, uh, Baron and Luthien, the Fall uh, of Gondolin, and the Children of Hurin. And I think that's what she means, but I could be wrong. But uh, I definitely Baron and Luthien. The Fall of Gondolin is a really short tale in the Silmarillion that's really expanded in that standalone book so I think we'll probably leave that at this as the same Children of Hurin that is a long one we might do that in two haven't haven't decided yet but I know that Marilyn Arpukila over a year in advance has claimed that so right. she will be on to discuss the Children of Hurin uh yeah I don't know if y'all are gonna read that are you reading the actual full Children of Huron or just you no, know, no, we're sticking gonna do to the, the Silmarillion chapter. chapter? Yeah, I remember yep. uh, I did. I had to split up uh, of Turin Turinbar into two episodes, and I think both episodes were like an hour and a half long. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's, it's a hefty one. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's another um, dark tale of love. Yes. Yes. David <laughs> doesn't know yet. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a real bad one. Okay. Loremaster Brian8063 via Patreon says, I just wanted to thank you for the elf flowchart. This is so helpful. John, interesting point about the Valar having hazy memories of the song. It made me wonder if they could not recall those memories. If so, are the Valar imperfect beings? Then this leads me to a larger Tolkien question. Does perfection play a role in Tolkien's world? Oof. Oof. Uh, I'm going to just answer right off the bat. No, the Valar are not perfect beings. 
They are imperfect beings. They are not God. God is Eru Luvatar. These are the angels, and they can do wrong, and they do do wrong. And I've been staking the case against Manway this entire read through. Oh I think my he's gosh. a terrible leader. Praise. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Go on, Mary Clay. What, I, what do you have to say? Yeah, about this? I mean, I just found it as you continue reading the Silmarillion and reading these tales that unfold, a lot of the times you're like, where the heck are these powerful, all knowing gods? demigods where are the grown-ups that that live on this earth that you know all these years ago Iluvatar has this vision and uh, about you know god's perfect children coming to earth being the elves and the men and why does no one care about us anymore now that we're in the midst of strife where are <laughs> our right. gods that were supposed to be here to keep us safe <laughs> yes i would agree and uh manway tends to encourage action when it's the wrong idea and discourage action when it's the wrong idea and i don't know why but i maybe we'll find out one day friend of the pod e hoop says regarding the christopher tolkien reading i can't find the version that starts in darkening and sort of think maybe the dark hand of the tolkien lawyers is scrubbing it from youtube I really feel like I remember more of from my CDs and LPs, and Darkening is in the title. In my defense, still a glorious reading. So this is a follow-up on feedback from last month where Ehoop turned us on to a recording of Christopher Tolkien reading of the Darkening of Valinor, and I believe the next chapter uh, from there, portions of it at least, that was on YouTube. Unfortunately, apparently, it's missing parts of it at least because... The Tolkien estate is, as Ehoop has pointed out, the dark hand. It will it will come and take the things that you want if they are not properly licensed. Yes, yeah. Um, as someone who has spent a good deal of their time as a podcaster looking for increasingly obscure things on the internet, uh, I recommend looking on the internet archive. Maybe... Okay. Oh, yeah poke around yeah. in there uh there might be i think it's just archive.org <laughs> um and i'm pretty sure it's free to make an account and you can find all sorts of stuff on there um not sure if you'll be able to find what you're looking for but uh that's another place to look that perhaps someone has uploaded it to preserve it there but if it's the 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 Tolkien estate doing their deeds, their their hand is far reaching. <laughs> right, right. They'll find it even if it's hidden with the ring. Mary Clay, can you tell our listeners where to find you and what you're working on briefly? I know we've discussed before, but but tell them a little more. Yeah, you can listen to That's What I'm Talking About wherever you get podcasts. There are new episodes every Tuesday. You can follow on social media at Tolkien About Pod. And currently, I am covering the Lego Lord of the Rings video game. It's very fun. It's very silly. You never, uh, you don't have to have played the game to enjoy the episodes. And then uh, coming up, I'll be doing some special topic episodes. And the first one coming up will be an episode just about the women of Lord of the Rings slash Tolkien. I have to, I had, I had to open it up to the Silmarillion because just doing the women of Lord of the Rings <laughs> gets a little bit limiting. Right. Right. So, <laughs> right. That sounds good. That, though. That's what I'm working on now. Um, 
lots of there are things to be found on the podcast if you are a intense fan who has read every word of Tolkien and there are things to be found if you have just started watching Fellowship of the Ring. Well, this has been a well, very cool. Yeah, thanks for coming over. It was a like I said, we had a good time when we came over to you, and we're so glad that you uh, decided to jump yes. over. Oh, with yeah, us. go listen to the episode that, <laughs> that y'all true. were on. Um, I think it was uh, for one of the appendices. It was appendix. Yeah, appendix A. We did uh, the tale of Aragorn and Arwen, which was great. And I yes. think we yeah. did uh, yeah. Aorl as Aural. well. Yes. yes, I remember Aurora. that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> very we, hard. We to had say. some good banter. We, I believe, we had the Law and Order SVU theme play a few we times did, for right. some reason. Very cool. Yes, because uh, we had uh, a good time. Yeah, just like we said, Tolkien writing in all those older woman romances. Sometimes yeah. it can feel a little bit fishy when you have a twenty-year-old talking to a twenty-thousand-year-old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or sorry, yep. I think she's just two thousand. So never mind. <laughs> Is it too much of a difference for this purpose? I don't. I don't think so. I know. Yeah. <laughs> What's another eighteen thousand years? Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna throw your socials and your link to your feed in the show notes. So if people want to check you out, please do. And thank you so much for being here, Mary Clay. And we hope to talk to you soon. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks again. Okay, David. Let's talk programming notes and patreon shout outs first of all let's thank our patrons we've got three tiers on our patreon we've got a ten dollar tier as our top tier and those are called our lore masters they are the people who keep this show running who keep the lore hounds machine going down the highway and making tolkien scared because it's not nature (laughs) you're really stretching on this one but uh go for it we do. We do try to stretch things out. And we will have to start stretching this podcast out because we have 21 lore masters now. And here's the list. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F. and Matthew M. Wow, that list is getting long, and I'm loving it. Very cool. And hopefully it's going to get longer because we're coming up on our one-year anniversary, and we've uh, set ourselves out a little goal, and that is we'd love to uh, achieve having 100 patrons by the end of the month of uh, July in just a few months. Our first ever podcast dropped uh, July 11th, I believe it was, and we thought it would be fun to see if we could get 100 folks to be subscribers uh, by the end of the month. And to do that, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to have a little giveaway for everyone. So everyone who's uh, still subscribed by the end of the month, we're going to send you something fun and cool. We're designing it right now. I don't want to tip anything uh, just because we're still working out all the details, but Patreon subscription is really the best way to support us. It is the most stable form of uh, revenue for us. There are real costs involved in running a podcast. Ad revenue can be fickle. Uh, It's great. It really does help us a lot. But uh, Patreon subscribers really are the bread and butter of our work. And you get to do a lot of cool things. You get to listen to our podcast. podcast our exclusive podcast second breakfast we have lots of polls we have a private area on our discord where folks can talk um so lots of benefits uh most importantly you get to help keep 
being part of uh, producing this great content. Yes, thank you so much to all of our patrons. You really are keeping this operation moving. So let's tell everyone what we're doing next, what the Lore Masters are helping us do. We've got more Ted Lasso coming. We just wrapped up this, the uh, Mandalorian season three. Uh, we had a special guest, Alicia, who helped us wrap up that season and talk all things Star Wars. That was a fun podcast. Yeah, it so was a check fun it podcast. Yeah, it was a and fun it's, season. Too. It's like two and a half hours. So, <laughs> yeah, that's so right. If you want more house content, go check that episode out. Yeah, we got it for you. Yeah. We've also got a an episode of the MC Universe coming out at the end of the month to prep you for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Alicia will be on that one as well. And Jean, of course, was on it as he is every episode of MC Universe. All right, so we've got uh, two quick uh, final announcements. Uh, The first is we ran a little uh, Patreon poll to have our patron subscribers help us pick the next couple of shows that we're covering. We're in a little in-between zone, and there's no big tent poll shows um, that we absolutely have to cover. And so there's a whole bunch of three or four little shows that, or not little shows, but, you know, sort of medium-sized shows. And our patrons have chosen Barry, which is running right now, the first two episodes uh, I believe the first three episodes will have been out by the time we uh, get this out. Um, yep. And uh, so we're going to pick up coverage for that. And then starting May 1st is going to be the White House Plumbers on HBO. And that should be fun. That's all about Nixon and the um, break-in to the uh, Watergate offices of the Democratic National Convention. and all We the, love a crooked king. We do. And it's all the uh, hilarity that ensues from that. Um, so once we have those schedules uh, in operation, you'll be hearing uh, more about those. Lastly, we have a very special event that we're going to, uh, we're just starting to announce, and that is on uh, May the 6th, we are going to be watching the original 1977 Star Wars film, A New Hope. We're going to be hosting that on our Discord. Uh, we're still working out the schedule for that, but uh, expect sometime in the evening of Saturday, May the 6th, Eastern Time. You'll be able to come onto our Discord. We'll be live streaming the movie. We're not going to record this so that we don't get in trouble, but we are going to live stream the movie. We're going to be chatting about it in text, and then John and I will probably be on what's called the Discord stage feature, which allows us to do you know uh, voice uh, conversations. So uh, before and after talking about uh, the movie and our history with it, and then while we're watching it, everybody will be able to to talk in the chat feature as we're watching it. And this is going to kick off our plan to watch all nine of the Star Wars movies this year and podcast uh, about all of those. We're in a great place with Star Wars right now, and uh, folks have been asking uh, if we might do this, and so I think we've decided that we will. Uh, As the Star Wars world there's a lot going on, and I think it would be a lot of fun and interesting context for us to go back and watch all of the core nine movies to really um, build some more context for all of the shows that we're watching. So, two big announcements. Uh, drop in to our Discord on May the 6th, and we'll have some more information once we get those schedules hang, uh, hammered down. And uh, Barry and the White House Plumbers, look forward for those episodes. Very cool. Well, I hope everyone will join us next month for another episode of Silmarillion Stories. We're going to be talking about Of Eldamar and the Princes of the Edalier. Uh, that should be a great read. It's not a lot of story, but it's uh, it's something to talk about. And I think we're going to have a special guest as well. So stay tuned for more details on that. We'll discuss that on other podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month. 
The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.